Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, here's this week's message. Amen. Thank you, Joey. Praise team. Thank you, thank you. Good morning. If you've got your Bible, if you'll open up to Genesis chapter 42. Thank you, uh, Tim and Pat, for sharing this morning. And Robbie, God bless you, brother. Thank you for that song this morning. Genesis chapter uh, 42, uh, and I want to tell you up front this morning, we are going to do a lot of reading. So if you're not used to reading your Bible, guess what? You're going to get some practice this morning, or your app. You can open up whatever you need to. And while you're turning there, I was thinking about so many of us in our congregation today are going through some things. And, uh, you know, I've discovered something. When life is going great and smooth... It's easy to follow Jesus. I mean, when your life and you're getting everything you want and God's there and there's peace like a river and we can sing it as well with our soul. I mean, just hallelujah, praise, when everything's great. When challenges come, oh, that's the true test. And how we respond to those challenges, as Joey so well said, if we are, keep our focus on the story being Jesus, uh, Dare I say, I am being reminded even in my own life when things come my way, how I respond. It's interesting. I've been a a follower of Jesus for 30 plus years. And yet sometimes there's certain things I think God allows to come across my path just to see how I'm going to respond. And it's interesting. I think at the heart of discovering who you really are as a follower of Jesus it's sometimes how we respond to trials and tribulation and Woodruff Road traffic. <laughs> what our response is when those things come into our situation. Uh, I need a couple of volunteers. I think Mason is going to come help me. And Claire, come on up here this morning. I need a couple of volunteers to help me out this morning. Take your time. Hurry up. And... Uh, I want them to kind of demonstrate. Now, you guys stand on the behind here so that we are on either side. That's right. You can kind of take this side over here. Mason, you come up, come over here because we don't want to get this on the carpet. But I got some fruit with me. No, this is not a te- Hello? It's not a telephone. No, it looks like. But I have some fruit with me this morning. I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to, Claire, I'm going to give that to you, banana. I'm going to give you this, what is this, orange heath? Is this a mandarin? What is this thing? I don't know. what. I'm going to give that to Mason. What I'd like for you guys to do so everybody can see is I want you to take that fruit like you're really angry and I want you to squeeze it and just mash it as hard as you can, all right? Come on, get, get in there. Get, there. There you go. That's the juices are flowing. That's getting good. You're having a little trouble there, Claire. Come on, squeeze that. There you go. She's opening it up. All right, I'm going to step back a little bit just in case we get an explosion going. Oh, nicely done. Nicely done. All right, he's doing pretty good there. You, you get, okay. All right, yeah, you can just leave it right there. Thank you. Now, what's interesting 
is out of the orange, what came out of the orange? Juice. What kind of juice? Orange juice. Okay, that's very good. And what came out of Claire's fruit over here? What came out of that? Banana. All right, an orange juice came out of the orange. Banana slime came out of the banana. Thank you. I'll let y'all go wash up. Give them a big hand. Thank you. Thank you. When we're squeezed, something comes out. When you're squeezed, what comes out? See, I think God allows conflict and trial and tribulation sometimes to come into my life so that not only can I see how I will respond, but so people around me can see how I will respond. Do I respond with anger? Or going off on people? Or do I respond with the Spirit of Christ that is within me? Because if that is what is in me, that's what should come out when I'm squeezed. We're studying through the book of Genesis right now, and we're studying a guy named Joseph who was squeezed many, many times. And we're going to look at some of those squeeze tests that he went through. When we last left Joseph, you'll remember in chapter 40, he... Uh, was in jail. He had been there for a couple years and he interpreted the dream of the cupbearer and the baker and he told them, if you ever, when you go free and you go to the Pharaoh, please tell him who interpreted. Do, do not forget me. Do not forget me. And they forgot Joseph. But what we will not get time to read and I'll tell you very quickly what happens is there's another dream that comes to Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 41 and Joseph is yet again put to the squeeze test and Pharaoh has this dream and he has this uh, crazy dream of cows, seven cows that were sleek and fat who come up out of the river and stand on the riverbank and they eat seven skinny cows. And he has another dream. He dreams that uh, in the second dream, seven heads of grain were growing on a single stalk and seven other heads of grain sprout and they're thin and they're scorched and the thin heads of grain swallow up the healthy heads. And the Pharaoh woke up and so he calls out, who can help me interpret this dream? And at that point, the cupbearer goes, oh, there's this guy that was in jail with me who interprets dreams. And so Pharaoh calls to him and Joseph goes to Pharaoh and he basically says this. He says, you better prepare yourself because we're going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And Pharaoh honors Joseph and we find himself all of a sudden as famine enters the land in charge of all the grain in Egypt serving directly under the king. And that's where we pick up in our story this morning, Genesis chapter 42. So let's read it together. Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. And Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? Now, if you study the original language, you'll understand that that word staring there is he's, they're all looking perplexed. It's almost like when Jacob mentions the word Egypt that they freak out because they realize they have a brother that they sold to slavery and maybe he's in Egypt or maybe he's dead. So every time they hear the word Egypt, it's like, oh, is that, are we getting ready to get caught now? What, what's up? What does dad know? So they're a little terrified. And he says to them again in verse 2, Behold, I've heard there is grain in Egypt, so go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. It's interesting. Here comes this famine, and the brothers and the sons of Jacob are sitting around doing nothing. 
My friends, there are a lot of people in our culture right now, there's work to be done, and there are a lot of people just sitting around doing nothing. It's a shame that these guys are just sitting there as famine enters the land, and the father has to say, hey, I heard that there was some food, go get us some food, or we're going to be hungry. And so the brothers go down to Egypt to buy grain, not realizing they're going to be buying grain from their long-lost brother Joseph. And Jacob did not send his, little, his, his son Benjamin, the little brother, with his brothers, verse 4, because he said, I'm afraid harm may befall him, rightly so. The last time I sent you guys out with the wee one, the little one never came back. You think I'm going to send you to Egypt for food and send my youngest son? No way. But the rest of you can go. And so he sends him off to Egypt. And Joseph is now the ruler over the land in verse 6. And his brothers come and they bow down to him with their faces to the ground. You remember that was one of the dreams that Joseph told his brothers was going to happen. Joseph the dreamer said, one day you're going to bow down. Everybody's going to bow down to me. Here the dream is coming to pass. And Joseph saw his brothers, verse 7, but he disguised himself to them. He recognized them. And he said to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Verse 8. Keep in mind, 20 years have passed by. 20 years. Joseph recognizes his brothers. His brothers don't recognize him. And some interesting conversations are getting ready to happen. He says to them, He remembers the dreams, and he says in verse 9, Your spies, you've come to look at the undefended parts of our land. And they said, No, my Lord, by your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We're honest men. Your servants aren't spies. And Joseph said, No, but you've come to look at the undefended parts of our land. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. (laughs) Kind of skimmed over the truth really, really quick. You ever done that? Ever done that? I did that as a kid. I'm sure you did as a kid. Mom and dad would ask me questions and I would just skim over the answer, hoping they would not dig a little deeper into the story. And that's what these brothers do. Well, we, one is not with us anymore. They're tested. Joseph becomes the squeezer and he puts his brothers to the test. And he says, I'm telling you, your spies, verse 15, he says, you will be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that he can go and get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there's truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely your spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. And Joseph said on the third day, do this and live. For I fear God, if you're honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest, you can go carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words may be verified and you'll not die. And that's what they did. And so they said to one another, truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. They were feeling very bad and very guilty. Their conscience was starting to get their attention. Oh my goodness, what's happening here? We're going to have another young brother captured. 
What's going to happen? We're going to have to go back and tell dad we've lost another younger brother. It's interesting what happens to our consciences. It could be called the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. When the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and me when we're convicted of sin. And hopefully that happens. If you sin and you don't feel an inner voice talking to you and convicting you. My dear brother and sister, you don't know Jesus. Because if you're a child of God, part of being a child of God is when you do something wrong, something inside, the Holy Spirit begins to convict you and tell you and warn you, hey, no, you don't need to do this. This is not right. This is not right. Some of us wonder how people can be a part of churches all over America and do some of the crazy things that we see happen sometimes. I'll just submit to you, they don't know Jesus. They might be a church member. They might know about God, but they don't know Jesus because we know that when that happens... When something happens that we are tempted in or we sin or we fall, something inside starts to get our attention and they start to feel guilty. It's interesting that the United States government has something called the Federal Conscious Fund. Did you know that? And it collects money people send in because they know they cheated the government in some way. And people send in money because maybe they took army blankets as souvenirs if they were in the military. Or maybe they cheated on their postage or their income tax. And so uh, the consciences start bothering them and they can mail this money in to the federal conscience fund. One man wrote the IRS and he said this. He said, I cheated on my taxes. I can't sleep at night. Here's $100. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest I owe. There is this real conscious fund there that people are sowing into because the government knows that at some point we will start to feel guilty. And the reality is that you and I, if when tests come along our way, and they will, and we face these squeeze tests that life brings us, these challenges, these difficulties, you will be surely tested if you're a child of God. And so this famine comes about and these guys find themselves producing uh, guilt and regret and they're afraid of getting caught wondering what's going to happen and Reuben speaks up in verse 28 and says to the, uh, the, the brothers, did I not tell you don't sin against the boy? You wouldn't listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood everything that was going on. There was an interpreter between them, but Joseph could speak both Hebrew and Egyptian language. He could speak both, but they didn't realize what was happening. He was overhearing this whole conversation play out in front of him. And he turned away and he began to weep. When he returned to them, he spoke to them. And he took Simeon, verse 24, like he promised, and he bound him. And Joseph gave the orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack. And to give them provisions for the journey. So they load their donkeys. They head back, long story short. And when they get down the road, they realize as they were about to empty their sacks that in every bundle, verse 35, was money in their sack. And Joseph had put some silver that they had brought to give to him back in each of the guy's sacks and sent them back. And they began to freak out even more. And their father, Jacob, as, they, as this happens in his presence, he begins to say, You have bereaved me, verse 36, of my children. Joseph is no more. Now Simeon is going to be no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Wah, wah, 
wham. We talked about the wambulance, the whining. That's his response as the squeeze test happens on Jacob, Israel, otherwise named. This squeeze test on him, he begins to go, all this bad stuff is happening to me. Why, why, all this bad stuff is happening to me. And Jacob says, my son is not going with you, verse 38. His brother's dead. He alone is the younger one he's left. If harm should befall him on the journey you're taking, then you'll bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. So the squeeze test begins to happen. My dear friend, in life you'll find that you and I both will see that this squeeze test happens on us every single day. The things that come across our path, sometimes uh, of our own choosing of our own decision-making, and sometimes it's just the way things go. Sometimes God allows those things to happen. Well, what continue the story. What happens is famine was severe, we find out in chapter 43, and they finish eating, which is a remarkable statement. They, it, they finish eating, verse 2, the grain which they had brought from Egypt, and their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. We don't know how long. Biblical, biblical scholars debate how much time had happened here. Some say as much as another year plus... Can you imagine? That shows how much the brothers really loved each other, right? They go back home to their dad. They take everybody, but they left one, the second one that's about to, something's about to happen to. And they go back with all the grain and they sit down and chow down. And they forget about their brother. And so finally, when the food runs out, that's when they start to remember their brother. Now, there's a whole sermon right there. When the, when, the, when the provision of God runs out, a lot of times that's when we finally turn to God. When the provision of food starts to run out, that's when they start to go, oh yeah, we, we better go back and see Joseph. And Jacob says, that's what you need to do. And Judah says, I need to repeat to you the story that we told you when we got here. We can go back, but we can't go back unless we take our younger brother with us. And you said no. So what's going to happen? And Judah says to his father in verse 8, Send the lad with me. We'll rise and we'll go that we may live and not die, we as well as you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. What a remarkable contrast in attitude than it was before when they wanted to throw their brother in a pit and walk away and tell a bunch of lies. Now he's standing up for his brother and saying, I'll be responsible. I'll take responsibility. Which tells me this about our God. If you fail the first squeeze test, God's gracious to give you another one. I remember in high school, taking that pop quiz. Looking around the room as all of us in class look very inquisitive. Like, we are going to so fail this test, it's not even funny. I think one of the students in my class, highest grade, was a 23. And out of the graciousness of God, thank the Lord Jesus, the teacher said the next day when she passed out those tests, guess what? I'm going to give you another shot. I'm going to give you another shot. Aren't you glad God gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity? And so if we fail the first test, we might get another one. Grace is getting another test. Because God loves us. So Jacob and his family go through the food. They pack up. Judah says he's going to go back and take Benjamin with him and his brothers. He says he'll be responsible for it. And they go back and they journey along the way. And we pick it up in verse 29 where they enter into the presence. Verse 26. 
of chapter 43, they enter into the presence of Joseph. Joseph sees them coming. They arrive. They confess to the steward, hey, last time we left, we got, we got gone and there was this extra silver. We, we didn't put it in there. We didn't steal it. And the steward says, I know, I know, everything's fine. God and the God of your father has given you that treasure. And they go into Joseph's house after their feet are washed and their donkeys are fed. And they go in and we pick up at verse 26. Joseph comes home and brings him into his house to present them what was in their hand, and they bowed to the ground before him. They asked them about their, he asked them about their welfare and said, Is your old father well, of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Yes, your servant, our father, is well. He's still alive. And they bowed down to him in homage. And as he lifted his eyes, he saw his brother Benjamin, the youngest son they had showed up with. And he lifted his eyes and began to cry and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, May God be gracious to you, son. And Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he goes out and he cries, and he washes his face, and he comes back in. And they don't understand about the test that's getting ready to happen, yet another test. Because Joseph comes back in, and he sets the brothers down in in birth order. Now, can you imagine? You, you're before Joseph, the second in command. You don't know yet that he's your brother that you kind of threw into a pit. He doesn't know you, or so they think. And he sits down the brothers in birth order. According to their birthright, youngest. No wonder the brothers were Filled with astonishment, they're wondering what in the world is going on here. It says in verse 33, chapter 43, verse 33, they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment, I guess so. How in the world does he, how in the world does he know who's born first in our birth, or how, how does he know this? The arrangement of the brothers was pretty amazing, because obviously it couldn't happen by chance. As a matter of fact, statistically... Statisticians tell us that the odds of placing 11 brothers in precise birth order are 1 in 40 million. Can you imagine as these brothers are starting to think, what is happening? The, the guilt from all these years, 20 plus years of the way they treated their brother is about to come out. And they sit down and Simeon comes out and Joseph throws this huge feast and he gives Benjamin five times more food, the Bible says in verse 34, as everybody else. And they feasted and they drank freely with him. Maybe Joseph was wanting to see what their response was going to be if the younger one got treated a little bit better than everybody else because they failed the first test when this happened. Let's give the younger one a whole lot more food than everybody else and see what their response is. And so that's what they did. They feasted. And we get to chapter 44 and the story continues. Maybe these guys are thinking, as the guilt kind of floods their mind and their heart, hey, we got Simeon, we got our grain, got everything we needed. Dad trusted us to get up here and get our younger brother. Let's get out of here. You ever been in a situation like that where the conviction of the Holy Spirit is so strong you just want to get up? My friends, I've been in church services where personally this has happened to me, where there was some sin in my life and the conviction of the Holy Spirit was so strong, the only thing I want to do is get out of the building. 
I pray that we would sense that in our church family more and more often. I think there's many Sundays that we do. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and in our life. And so they get Simeon. And Joseph gives him some instructions for another return journey home. He commands his house steward in chapter 44, verse 1. says, fill up their sacks with food. Put as much on in the sacks and as much on the horses and their cattle as it can handle. Put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. But, here's a change. Put my cup. My cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest. And his money for the grain. And they did as Joseph had instructed. And so these guys pack up their stuff. And they head out. And they get not too far away. And all of a sudden Joseph says, okay, that's far enough. Let's chase him down. And so his soldiers chase him down. And say to them, hey, somebody has taken some things that didn't belong to you. And the guys start to chime in. Verse 10, he said, now it is also be according to your words when they start to say, hey, whoever's got this silver and gold, who could steal that from the king? They start chiming in in verse 10 and say, let it also be according to your young words. The one that's found shall be my slave and the rest of you shall be innocent. And so they hurried and they lowered their sacks down to the ground and they started going through their stuff to find out, thinking, oh, we trust each other. Nobody's taking any of this stuff. Who could it be? Who could it be? And then all of a sudden they find out in the pack of the youngest, Benjamin's sack, verse 12 tells us, was the cup of Joseph. What was their response? Verse 13 tells us their response. They tore their clothes, and when each man had loaded his donkey, they returned to the city. You may know this, but the sign of tearing their clothes was a sign of saying, No more hiding. It's all out in the open. We repent. We don't know what's going on. We don't know why Benjamin, our brother, would steal this, but we're ready just to come clean with everything, with everything that we've ever done. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a spiritual experience where God spoke to your heart in a powerful way. I remember growing up in a, as a young person, teenagers or a college student going to camps, and I would feel so convicted and I would get so close to God. I would just be like, God, forgive me for everything. And I would start going back through history and naming stuff I had done like when I was 8 and 12 and 13 just because I wanted to be so clean before God because His presence was so powerful. I think that's kind of how these guys were, and they are kind of wondering, what are we going to do? What's going to happen to us? And they get back to Joseph's house, and they fell to the ground before him. In verse 15, Joseph says, What is this deed you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? So what does that mean, Pastor Jack? Back in the day, there were some rulers and kings who would have silver and gold and pots and cups that they would use for witchcraft and divination to try to get an answer for God. And they're thinking, maybe that's how Joseph knew this. No, Joseph didn't need witchcraft, divination. He didn't need any kind of source like that. He was connected to the source, Jesus Christ, God. He was getting the voice of God and tuned into God. And he says to them, Judah cries out in verse 16, What can we say to you? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? God's found out the iniquity of your servants. We will be your slaves. Verse 17, but he said, far be it from me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been, he will be my slave. But as for you, the rest of you can go in peace to your father. And then we find probably one of the greatest 
confessions in all of Scripture, I believe. When Judah steps up. Judah, the same one who was a part of the team that wanted to cast off Joseph just a few decades ago. A clear marker that something is happening in his heart and he's changing. He stands up and he says, approaches Joseph and says in verse 18, My Lord, may your servant please speak a word into my Lord's ears. Do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. My Lord, ask his servants. You asked us, haven't you a father or brother? And we said to you, we have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother. And his father loves him. And then you said to us, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And he goes through this whole confession of, we went back home and we told our dad what happened. And now we've come back to buy food. He goes through the whole story, but he throws in the extra honesty in verse 28. Because he says, the one that went out from me, I said, surely he is torn in pieces and I have not seen him since. He tells the real details of the story, not just he is no more. But no, he went out from us. And our dad thinks he was torn to bits because of us, because of what we did. Now, therefore, he says in verse 30, I come to your servant, my father. And he says, the lad is not with me since his life is bound up in the lad's life. It will come about if we go back in verse 31, basically, and he's not with us, we will die. Verse 32, he says, for your servant. He's talking about himself. Judah, I become surety for the lad to my father. If I don't bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father. So, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave to my Lord. And basically he's saying, Joseph, he doesn't know he's Joseph, but he's saying to him, I will stay. I will stand in his place. I will take the penalty for this cup that he stole, even though we know he didn't. I'll stand in his place. I will be your slave forever. Send him home. Set him free. My dear church family, that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and me. It's easy to read this story and to point a finger and say, how could Joseph do that? He was trying to get them to understand the depth of repentance and the depth of what their confession needed to be. And finally, 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 after 20 plus years, Judah gets it right and understands and says, I'm willing to stand in the place of my brother and be a slave to you forever if you'll please set him free. It's interesting the transition that happened over these years. We don't read in this scripture, we don't read in here where they resented Benjamin for getting the extra portions. We don't read into the scripture where, uh, as they were standing around going through the bags, that they were doing like I did. As he, she did it, he did it, she did it. They didn't pass the blame. They all trusted each other, believed each other. They were thinking, none of us took, took his cup. What is, what's going on here? And they stuck together even when the silver cup was found. They humbled themselves in front of Joseph. They offered themselves as a slave. They showed due concern for their father. And Judah. Judah was willing to be a substitutionary sacrifice for his brother. My dear friends, I'm grateful that that's what Jesus did for you and I. You say, Pastor Jack, what what happened? How How did Joseph respond at this pleading of Judah? Well, you'll have to come next week and find out. Aren't you glad you have a copy of God's Word and you can read it for yourself and find out? Many of us know what happens. 
The power of forgiveness, which we'll discover next week. But the story that I get out of this, these verses in these chapters of Scripture is the incredible reaction that we see from Joseph when life brings you lemons. It's been said to make lemonade, but it's all about the attitude. I know in our church family, we have a lot of us going through some very difficult times. Challenging times. Loved ones that are hurting. Physically. Financial situations. And you may be, you may be like this orange. You might be getting squeezed. That's really slimy, Mason. You did a good job. What's coming out of you? Because see, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's what's going to come out. Thankfully, we have a great example in Joseph, who every time he was squeezed, he just said, okay, I trust God. I trust God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you. Thank you that when we are squeezed, and we will be by life, what can come out is grace, mercy, and peace, and even joy can come out. Not necessarily happiness, because that's different. But joy can come out because the joy of the Lord is our strength. So this morning, Lord, I pray as we think about the life of Joseph, we would just do a quick inventory of our own heart. Lord, as I've done this week, even reading these chapters again, just looking at time after time after time, how Joseph responded in a godly way. Lord, I pray for these dear friends in this room. As Some of us aren't being squeezed right now, but we have been and we will be again. For those of us that are going through that squeeze test today, Lord, I pray that you would help us. You would be our strength. Church family, as you're praying this morning, maybe you are going through that squeeze test right now. We're here to pray for you. We love you. That's such a great benefit of being a part of a church family. Community. Where we can pray and encourage each other. This morning, if you're in that situation and you just say, I, I, I need prayer, I need encouragement... In just a moment, we're going to sing an invitation song, a song to close the service. And I'm going to invite you, if you feel led, to come down and just share that prayer request. Or maybe you want to kneel at the front. That'd be great. Maybe you're visiting today and you'd say, you know what? Well, I'm being squeezed and I, I don't have a, a place to, to call home, a church home, where I can really plant my roots and really get encouragement. Then I want to invite you to, to be a part of our church family here at Crossroads. However God's spoken to you this morning, I'm going to ask my friend Heath to come join me. We'll be down here at the front this morning ready to welcome you and to pray for you as God speaks to your heart. Lord, we pray that you do that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing this song of invitation as Joey leads us this morning? We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online.
In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items on our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.